live from the Poly Market Studio in LA. It's the Young Turks. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Young Turks, Jane Cougar, Anna Kasparian with you guys. So uh, we've got uh, foreign news, we, and apparently in a funny voice. Uh, we also have domestic news, of course. Uh, we had uh, the Iowa caucuses last night. I covered that uh, on uh, YouTube and everywhere else we're at. Of course, if you're a member, you get uh, everything we do. Um, and so tyt.com slash join, hit the join button below. Uh, obviously, Trump won, but we're gonna talk about Vivek Ramaswamy again, because he dropped out. And we've got some uh, funny details to add to that. Uh, and uh, without further ado, let's get started. Well, we begin with war, so let's do it. Iranian-backed Houthi militants held military exercises in Yemen just a day after being hit by U.S.-led airstrikes, more in defiance than a show of force, a flex of military muscle on land for a battle being waged at sea. U.S. operators say the cargo ship Gibraltar Eagle was hit by an anti-ship ballistic missile 100 miles off the coast of Yemen in the Gulf of Aden. That's right, Houthi rebels have in fact retaliated against the United States and the United Kingdom for the them carrying out airstrikes in Yemen in retaliation of Houthi rebels basically interrupting international trade in the Red Sea. Now the strikes were the West response to those Houthi attacks on cargo ships in the Red Sea. It has caused all sorts of problem when it comes to international trade. And considering the fact that these cargo ships would need to travel through the Horn of Africa to kind of get around the Red Sea it would increase the price of products as much as 40%. And of course, that wouldn't bode too well for President Joe Biden and his bid for reelection. We'll get to all of that in just a moment. But first, a few other updates in regard to the escalating tensions in the area. An American-owned container ship was hit with ballistic missiles in the by the Houthis in their latest alleged provocation on Monday. Monday, US Central Command said in a statement that Houthis fired an anti-ship ballistic missile from Houthi controlled areas of Yemen and struck the MV Gibraltar Eagle, a Marshall Islands flagged US owned and operated container ship. Now the ship 
according to the United States, sustained no significant damage and its crew was luckily uninjured. A missile launched from the from Yemen earlier in that day also came down before it reached the coast. And using missiles and drones, the Yemeni militants have carried out more than two dozen assaults in the Red Sea since the beginning of November. Now they're saying that they're carrying out these assaults as a direct response to Israel's war in Gaza. At first, they claimed that they were specifically targeting ships that did business with Israel or were owned by Israeli businessmen. But there have been other ships, cargo ships, namely, that have been caught up in this violence. A Houthi military spokesperson by the name of Yaha Sari confirmed in a statement late Monday that the group had targeted an American ship in the Gulf of Aden with these ballistic missiles. He said, quote, we consider all American and British ships participating in the aggression against our country as hostile targets. The spokesperson said the Houthis would continue maritime attacks until the aggression stops and the siege on Gaza is lifted, he said. Adding that any further attacks on Yemen by the United States and Britain will not remain without response and punishment. And I see a lot of people kind of downplaying the power or strength of these Houthi rebels as they continue their attacks. Keep in mind that the United States backed the you know, Saudi coalition in its war against the Houthi rebels in Yemen and they lost. So this is not a group of people who give up easily. They're incredibly persistent. And you know, there's a lot of debate going on right now in regard to whether or not Biden should be able to call for these airstrikes without the approval of Congress. There have been some Congress members who have spoken out against this, including Representative Rokana. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to situations like this that are an emergency by the executive branch. Typically, they can carry out these airstrikes unilaterally. The real concern is whether this will continue to escalate tensions in the region and basically spread to a more expanded regional war. So we'll get to that conversation in a moment. But Jenk, any initial thoughts? Yeah, so this is very complicated. So on the one hand, if they hit an American ship, do we have a right to retaliate? Of course we do, right? On the other hand, uh, so we don't want to get into a, a much broader regional war. And to Anna's point, if you think, oh, the Houthis in Yemen, Yemen's one of the poorest countries, etc. This will be easy. Yeah, I remember when they said they throw rose at our feet in Iraq and Afghanistan. It will not be easy. Everything is guerrilla warfare now. So whether it's in the, on the ground or in the seas. And what is is what has changed warfare, and we have not quite caught up to this fact. The Russians have, because of what they experienced in Ukraine, is drones. So drones change the dynamic both in the sea and on the ground, and they have plenty of drones, and they can get more and more drones. So there's several different questions here. One, when should we attack? Under what circumstances, meaning like, does Congress need to act before we attack, etc., right? So I do not agree that we should attack because other countries trading ships have been attacked and it has affected trading routes. Okay, I mean, this is called Operation Prosperity Guardian. So they're very brazen about it. It isn't really about national security. It's about protecting profits. So understand that if they don't go by the Red Sea, they have to go around the Horn of Africa. If they do, it increases the price for those goods on there by 10%. You could say, hey, for inflation, maybe I do kill people. I don't know, I wouldn't, right? So, But basically, we're talking about 10% here in profits or resources, however you wanna call it. 
And so for that, we're going to counterattack. All right, if you thought it's like the old days, the US can do anything they want, we just go bomb them and we're done with it. Maybe maybe you say yes under those circumstances. It depends on your moral compass in some ways. But in this day and age, it's not that easy. You might trigger a gigantic regional war because you wanted to save 10% and you called it guarding prosperity. And it might not work out that way at all. So a few things, number one, you are right that it would increase, it would hurt profits for corporations, but it would also lead to inflationary pressures, which of course the Biden administration is concerned about because if that does in fact happen, then he's gonna be the one punished by it and we're dealing with an election season. But putting that aside, it would also be you know, inflationary pressures that would overwhelmingly impact the poorest people in the country, and not just in our country, around the world. And it would also, but also lead to- the richest people in the world. Of course it would, but hold on, let me finish my point, Jake. You said that it would increase prices by 10%, that's actually incorrect. It is increasing, the shipping costs have increased 40% for the cargo ships that are going around and not going through the Red Sea. And it's already leading to concerns in some countries, including like the UK, for instance, they're worried about supply shortages when it comes to pharmaceutical drugs that they need for their patients there. So it is actually a lot more complicated than corporations bad, we're just concerned about corporate profits. There's also some concern about what this is gonna do to vulnerable people across the the, the globe who rely yeah, on- Yeah, I don't know about products. that 40% number, Anna. I read 10% and wherever it is between 10 and 40, it affects different people in different ways. This is not all trade, but it is a big part. It's 12% of the trade of the whole world, okay? But it is, they're mainly targeting ships that are going to Israel, not perfectly or as Anna explained. But so it maybe it increases prices for some of the freights that are on those particular ships in Israel. I don't know that it increases at 40% here or in Canada or in, or in Botswana, I don't know. Uh, but so it the the people that it affects most and the economy that it affects most is definitely Israel. And so now we're gonna go to war to protect their prosperity? Okay, so and by the way, there's a giant alternative solution, which is end the occupation, end the war. So I know in America that's unthinkable. We must imprison the Palestinians for the rest of time and we must keep uh, help Israel butcher them. So, uh, but oh my God, I don't want my prices and my profits to go down. So well, now we're in a conundrum, but it's actually not a conundrum. You could just do the moral thing and say, we're not sending Israel any more money until they end the war and they end the occupation, all the problems are solved. And yeah. you're more on the, you're, you do better on the economy, you do better on morality. But of course, Washington would never consider doing the right thing. So here we are at the precipice of a wider war. Okay, so you're right about that. And ultimately, I agree with you in that the best course of action for the United States would be to apply pressure to Israel in regard to how they're carrying out this war in Gaza. This is what you know, the Houthi rebels are claiming is firing them up, and this is what's leading to them carrying out these attacks in the Red Sea. There are some who argue, no, that's just their cover story. All they're really worried about is increasing their visibility and their recruitment efforts, and they're basically exploiting this war to recruit. But I mean, the Houthi rebels weren't carrying out these attacks in the Red Sea prior to this. And they have, for the most part, attacked cargo ships that do business with Israel. Other ships have been involved. For instance, on November, there were there was the week-long humanitarian pause. And during that pause, the Houthi rebels continued their attacks on those ships, including one on November 25th, Houthi rebels attacked the CMA CGM 
SYMI, I don't I don't know what that is, but it was a, a ship traveling from Dubai to the Far East. The cargo ship was struck by an Iranian drone, but was lightly damaged. And then on November 26th, again, this is the second attack during the humanitarian pause. They attacked a tanker named Central Park in the Gulf of Aden, and it was sailing from Morocco to India. So that one didn't even have anything to do with Israel whatsoever. And so look, I, Both things can be true. You can both agree that just simply bombing Yemen isn't the right course of action. That should be the absolute last resort. And you should try to find ways to actually respond to the concerns that not just the Houthi rebels, but countries around the world are having in regard to how Israel is carrying out this war in Gaza. But I think it would be a mistake to also downplay the impact of those Houthi attacks, not just on some of the innocent people who are on those cargo ships who aren't doing anything wrong, right? They're just doing their jobs. They shouldn't have to fear for their lives as they're doing their jobs. But it's also gonna have an impact on on prices and our supply chains, namely when it comes to critical essential things like pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah, so let me make a distinction between what we want and what is possible. So sometimes people say absurd things like, well, we should tell the Houthis to cut it out. Okay, Houthis, cut it out. Yeah, do I want them bombing the ships? No, I don't want them bombing the ships. So, but us not wanting it doesn't matter at all. Then the, so then the question is, okay, like because some people in America, they, because mainstream media frames it this way, thinks that if you just tell Hamas to cut it out or the Houthis to cut it out, that like that has an effect. That has zero effect, none. So get two realistic solutions. So uh, now, how, how do we effectuate what we want, which is to get them to stop bombing the ships? Well, there's a couple of ways. One is we strike back, and when we just did that, and did it stop them? No, it didn't stop them at all. The only way you're gonna stop them is if you start a giant war with Yemen, which is then gonna jump to Iran, by the way, but you'll never get out of Yemen in the first place, because it'll be guerrilla warfare, land, sea, air, etc. And we'll be bogged down in a disastrous war over there. Otherwise, what are you gonna do? You're gonna take over all of Yemen? No, they're gonna be able to fire rockets from Yemen ad nauseum. You, you can't, you can kill more of them, but it's not gonna stop it. So I'm being honest with you guys and realistic. The idea that we pound our chest, we bomb them, we kill them, and then they stop. They they, they didn't stop, it didn't work, it's not gonna work, it's dumb. The only way to get them to stop is to get Israel to end the war and the occupation. Well, you say, well, Israel doesn't wanna do that, they wanna keep those prisoners. Five million Palestinian prisoners, okay, well then those bombing isn't gonna stop, no matter how much we want it to stop. I don't want prices going up, I don't want innocent people getting killed. But you have to be realistic about how to get things done. And peace is the way to get things done. Saying we're gonna keep bombing Yemen and maybe drag Iran into it is a terrible strategy. And by the one, by the way, Rokhana, Pramila Jayapal and the others are right. One that you require congressional authorization for. Anna's also right that no president cares about the Constitution. They ignore the Constitution all the time. They do all these bombings without any congressional authorization. But yes, you're supposed to get one. Why are you supposed to get one? So you don't accidentally drag us into an unwinnable war. Yeah, and look, I would just like Congress to stop whining about that. And if they genuinely want to ensure that the president has their authorization before he carries out any military activity. Well, then do something about it. Don't just complain about it. I just think they oftentimes like to complain about it. But when push comes to shove, they don't want to take responsibility for approving the executive branch's military activity because they don't want that blowback for their elections. 100%. Okay. Say, you know what? You drop one more bomb, President Biden, and you don't get any defense spending. 
or you cut half of defense or 10% of defense spending. Do you have any idea how much Washington will panic? They're like, oh no, the beloved defense contractors and the beautiful juicy bribes they give us. Totally. They'll all panic. Totally. All right, are you gonna use your power or are you gonna bark like a little dog all day? They're gonna bark like little dogs, that's okay. what they do. And then that's what Biden <laughs> does with Netanyahu, which we'll get to later in the show. Oh, please, please, you keep doing massacres, just a little less massacres. And Netanyahu slaps him with the back of his hand, because get the hell out of here. And, and so these are all totally useless, powerless people. The only people that could stop any of this is the right wing government of Israel. So wish us luck. Let's talk a little bit about um, something that happened to two of our Navy SEALs in the area as well. So, um, all right. Two Navy SEALs are missing following an overnight military operation, which included them intercepting weapons deliveries from Iran to Houthi rebels. Um, here's more on what happened during that overnight operation near the coast of Somalia. U.S. officials also say that the SEALs had been conducting a nighttime boarding mission off the coast of Somalia on Thursday. This is a complex and dangerous operation. And as they were trying to board a vessel by boat, one sailor fell into the water, the other then jumping in to help him. Now, as you know, the Gulf of Aden as well as the Red Sea are busy shipping lanes. They've also recently been used by the Iranian-backed Houthis to attack dozens of commercial vessels, prompting a massive show of force with U.S. and British Navy ships deployed to the area to deter and respond to the attacks. Now, according to the Washington Post, the Navy SEALs, who are now unfortunately missing, um, launched their mission from the USS Lewis B. Puller, which acts as a floating military base. And then they headed toward the uh, Dehau in a smaller craft, and that's according to a U.S. official. So the crew on on that vessel apparently lacked the proper documentation which allowed for the military to go on board and start searching the vessel. And then these operations involve approaching the suspect vessel in smaller boats and then using ladders and climbing tools to get on board, which can be complicated by violent waves. And unfortunately, the rough waters led to a situation in which one of the Navy SEALs fell into the water and then the second Navy SEAL jumped in to try to save him. And unfortunately, they both struggled and are now both missing. As rescue operations for the two Navy SEALs began, other troops carried out a search of the boat, which according to reports had a crew of 14 people. And that's again, according to a statement by the US Central Command, they were taken into custody. The Dihau was deemed unsafe and was sunk according to a statement. And among the things they seized from the vessel, it included Iranian made ballistic and cruise missile, warheads, propulsion and guidance systems, and air defense components. Also an analysis or initial analysis indicates the weapons match those the Houthis have used to target ships on the Red Sea, according to the statement. The operation marked the first US Navy seizure of advanced Iranian made ballistic components since 2019, the statement said. And the US is arguing that these operations have been ongoing and they're not at all tied to the 
you know, ongoing war with Israel and Gaza. It's not tied to the US and its allies attempting to protect international trade in the Red Sea. I find it hard to believe that statement. And in fact, I'm very skeptical of that statement. Nonetheless, two of our Navy SEALs are now missing. And even though the State Department argues that they're optimistic that they're still alive, I would argue that that's, that's really hard to believe at this point. Yeah, look, for whatever hope there is, let's keep going. And they say the search has been exhaustive. And that makes sense. We should obviously do our utmost to find those guys. And so, Always remember when it comes to the troops, it's never, it's not their fault. They get sent on missions and they, they don't have decision making over it and they're bravely trying to execute whatever mission that they're given. Let's all you know, send our best wishes they, that they are found. Now, when it comes to policy, so first of all, take everything that the Pentagon says and any government, especially defense agency or military says with a grain of salt. So they say, aha, we found these Iranian weapons. Probably actually, probably, I'm not surprised by that. We think Iran is sending weaponry to Houthis, they're both Shia, they're related. Iran is likely sending weapons to Hezbollah and Hamas as well. So it's it's not shocking or anything. But right now they say initial analysis by the Pentagon and the Pentagon is often full of crap. Yeah, there's a big so, bias there. So yeah. that's why you should be skeptical of their statements. Yeah, because they want to be able to say, aha, it was Iran, right? So they also want to be able to say that these types of incredibly risky missions, which in this case led to two of our Navy SEALs now missing, are worth it, right? They're they're keeping, you know, the international community safe. They're intercepting these dangerous weapons that are being delivered to the Houthi rebels. That's the other reason why they say that. Yeah, so they, they got some guys off the off the boat that are Houthis. So, you know, I don't know if they're gonna get any information out of them. They say they sunk the boat afterwards. And here's a picture of the Iranian missiles that we took. But you know, they could have already had that and just brought it and then taken a picture. So I'm not saying they did that. I don't know. And honestly, I don't care much because I think Iran is funding the Houthis. So it's a irrelevant conversation. That's the relevant part is, yes, but what are we gonna do about it? If you then take that and then go with like some neoconservative Nikki Haley-like train of thought, well, oh, aha, we found a one weapon or a couple of weapons from Iran, let's go attack them. No, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Iran is four times the size of Iraq. And starting any war with Iran will end in global disaster. And, and disaster for America. If anybody thinks it's easy, well, you're either a moron or completely dishonest and wanna make profit off of killing Iranians and Americans. So do not get into this war. These Navy SEALs were worried could be the first casualties. They certainly would not be the last casualties. If we get into a broader war with Iran and all of their proxies in Yemen, Lebanon, the Palestinian territories, etc. And congratulations, America and Israel. You've united the Sunnis and the Shia who have been fighting for 1500 years. Now they're united in their hatred of you. All right, we gotta take a break. When we come back, we've got more news for you, including, well, Another story involving President Joe Biden feeling frustrated with Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli government essentially laughing about it. So we've got that and more coming up, don't miss it. Back 
on TYT, Jank, Anna, and a long list of American heroes, Genko, Silas Greystone, Hobbsies, and Merrick Carlson, all just joined by hitting the join button below. We appreciate you guys, you make this show possible. And Anthony McClendon upgraded through that same button. Upgrades make a giant difference so we can keep prices low for everyone. And then Benjamin Moreland Box gifted a membership on YouTube, you guys are awesome. And stop dragging my heart around. Uh, gifted five American hero. We appreciate all you guys. We love you guys. Let's do the show. All right. Well, uh, Biden continues to be frustrated with Netanyahu, as are other Democrats in Congress. So let's uh, discuss what that's all about. President has got to change course. He has been very clear. He has expressed his concern about quote unquote indiscriminate bombing. He has asked Netanyahu over and over again to change course. Netanyahu just yesterday said, no, we're going to continue doing. What we are doing, unacceptable. Well, politely asking someone like Benjamin Netanyahu to do anything is a laughable way of handling the situation. And that's what we've been hearing over and over again in regard to the Biden administration and its handling of this war in Gaza. Now, Senator Bernie Sanders lays out how the Israeli government continues to ignore Biden and conduct their war on Gaza in a way that fails to spare the lives of Palestinian civilians. And now new reporting from Axios continues on with this same humiliating narrative for the president. That he's losing patience with Netanyahu, he has asked politely for Netanyahu to stop indiscriminate bombing in the Gaza Strip. And of course you have Netanyahu respond by saying we're gonna continue this war. Because make no mistake about it. Netanyahu's political interests really rely on him continuing the war. He knows the second the war is over, it's very likely that he's going to face a criminal prosecution. The country is not in favor of him, they're against him. Even now with this ongoing war, Israelis want him out. But again, the Israeli government does not care what Biden has to say. Biden has given Israel his full backing with unprecedented military and diplomatic support. Even while taking a political hit from part of his base in an election year. That support has largely continued publicly, but behind the scenes, there are growing signs that Biden is losing his patience, the US official who spoke to Axios said. So I just want you to take in what I read to you, okay? That is an excerpt from the Axios reporting. You can't on one hand provide unprecedented military support <laughs> to Israel in its war on Gaza. And then turn around and say, like, I am so frustrated that Netanyahu won't stop with the indiscriminate bombing with the 2,000 pound bombs that I'm supplying him. And the money that I actually went around Congress to provide for Netanyahu and the Israeli government. Remember, Biden did that. He didn't get the hundreds of millions of dollars that he just sent to Israel approved by Congress. He found a way around Congress to send that money unilaterally. You, you can't do that. While simultaneously pretending as though you're concerned about how Israel is carrying out that war, it's ridiculous. Well, uh, to be fair, Biden found a way around Congress to get Americans $15 minimum wage and higher wages and paid family leave and voting. Oh, right, he didn't do any of that. When he came to those issues and helping the average American, he was like, oh, there's nothing I can do. Congress, filibuster, oh my God. Oh, Israel needs to commit more uh, war crimes? Yes, right away, who cares about Congress? I don't need stinking Congress. Oh, attacking the Houthi rebels, attack them, bomb them, bomb them. I don't need congressional approval. Congress is useless, irrelevant. Helping the average American, Congress, filibuster, parliamentarian. Come on guys, you're obvious frauds. So look, let me ask you if you're one of these 
you know, Democratic diehards who are like, oh, Democratic leadership, they're always saints so wonderful. So answer me and riddle me this. Is Joe Biden a pathetic weakling or a moron or both? Because there isn't another option. So does Joe Biden not know that the way to get any person to do what you want, that is the leader of a foreign government, is consequences? Like, does he really, is he so unbelievably stupid as a president of the United States that he's like, well, I, I begged him and he said, no, I, I guess there's nothing else I can do. Come on, nobody thinks Biden's that stupid, right? So what is he then? He's pathetically weak. He he came and said, hey, Netanyahu, straighten up, this is America, okay? We give you all this funding, I gave you all this stuff for free. I'm gonna give you, we give you billions of dollars every year for free. I'm about to send you $14 billion extra for free, right? I supply everything that you ever ask. So can you please not do just a little bit that we're asking, right? We're not, we're not telling you to stop the bombing. We're not telling you to stop all war crimes. We just said, can you reduce the war crimes by a little bit? And Netanyahu goes, Puh, and slaps him across the face. And we've got quotes, we're gonna show you, right? And Biden goes, okay, okay, you win. I swear I won't do anything. Come on, what a, how pathetic and humiliating. It is humiliating. It's, humili it's humiliating for the Biden administration. It's also humiliating for America to be led by a president who on one hand is supplying the weaponry that Israel is using to carry out the very war that Biden is alleging to have issues with. And by the way, I don't know what what's really transpiring with Biden. My read of this, and I could be completely wrong, but I genuinely think that Biden is trying to have his cake and eat it too. He's trying to continue supporting Israel's war on Gaza while attempting to appear more sympathetic to the portion of the Democratic base, namely younger voters who increasingly are becoming more and more vocal about this war, who are increasingly you know, against Biden and how he's been supportive of the Israeli government and this war. I think it's, I think it's a political move that is not really boding well because we're not idiots. Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right, Adam. So let me clarify, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place in his way of thinking because on the one hand, he thinks I need the donors and I don't care if your feelings are hurt. The defense contractors, oil companies and yes, APAC and Democratic Majority for Israel are giant donors. If you think politicians don't care about donors, well, you don't know anything about politics. Please go do something else, okay? So that includes every stupid reporter in Washington. Oh, The lobbyists, might that affect Biden? Oh, no, no, don't write about it, don't write about it. Come on guys, we all have eyes, okay? so. He wants the donor money from all those different industries, etc. But at the same time, he's down by 10 in Michigan. And if you don't win Michigan, you have a 0% chance of winning the race if you're a Democrat. Okay, so now he's, and he lost the young vote. He's now trailing Trump by four in the young vote. If you lose the young vote as a Democrat, you have a 0% chance of winning. So he's like, well, I, I, I can't win without the donors. I can't win without the voters. I'm stuck and literally in the Axios piece, they have, Guys from the Biden administration saying we are stuck. Now the reality is you're not stuck, make a decision. You know what decision you should make? The voters. But he's so hooked on donor money, he's like, I need it, I need it. Give it to me, hit it me in the main way. I, the idea that you would say no to the donors for people like Joe Biden who are career politicians in America is unthinkable. Biden they think that's my boss, yeah. I can't say no to my boss. 
Okay, so let's actually get to the quotes. But remember, Biden doesn't want to deal with AIPAC the same way John Fetterman, a newly elected senator, doesn't want to deal with AIPAC. So that's also a huge part of it. It shows an incredible amount of weakness. Well, by the way, also insulting the intelligence of the American people who see what's going on. Again, you can't claim you have a problem with this war as you are funding and providing the weaponry for the war. Now, not only is the Biden administration allegedly concerned about how Israel is not allowing for the flow of humanitarian aid to go into the Gaza Strip. They're also frustrated by Netanyahu's unwillingness to seriously discuss the plans for the day after the war ends. They're frustrated by his rejection of the US plan for a reformed Palestinian authority to have a role in the post Hamas Gaza. And Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was very blunt with Netanyahu and his war cabinet stressing that the Israeli government's plan for the day after the war is pie in the sky, a US official said. Now what does that mean? What is Israel's plan? Well, we've shared it with you. There's a push to essentially ethnically cleanse Palestinians from the Gaza Strip. There have been secret talks with various governments to see which countries would be willing to absorb Palestinian refugees. There were talks about Congo taking in some of those Palestinian refugees. And allegedly, you have Secretary of State Anthony Blinken arguing, no, that's not gonna happen. But if Netanyahu and the right wing Israeli government, if they want it, What are they gonna do to stop that from happening? It appears nothing, it's just talk. Blinken also told Israeli leaders that no Arab country is going to bail them out on the rebuilding and governance of Gaza if Israel doesn't allow the PA to have a role and doesn't allow for a political horizon for the Palestinians. So the other option that Israeli officials have been thinking about is, well, what if we just occupy the Gaza Strip, right? Instead of ethnically cleanse, whoever remains in Gaza will be occupied by the Israeli government. That's the other plan that's been floating around. Now, there are also no signs that Israel is transitioning to a low intensity stage of this war. US officials are now growing increasingly concerned that Israel won't meet its timetable to transition to low intensity operations in Gaza by the end of January. And one official who spoke to Axios on condition of anonymity said, quote, the situation sucks and we are stuck. Others who are willing to speak to Axios on the record, including Democratic Senator Chris Van Hollen, just bluntly says, at every juncture Netanyahu has given Biden the finger. They are pleading with the Netanyahu coalition, but getting slapped in the face over and over again. Netanyahu appears more willing to listen to the ultra nationalist ministers in his government, namely Itamar Ben Gavir and Basilel Smotrich, than to what the President of the United States says, Senator Van Hollen told Axios. And guess what? He's correct. In fact, let's go to this video featuring a Likud party member by the name of Danny Dannon, basically bragging about how the Israeli government has been ignoring what the US government has been asking for. This is a conversation that he had on December 8th. Let's watch. לא תמיד מסכימים על הכל, היו מחלוקות מההתחלה דרך אגב, הם לא הסכימו לתימון קרקעי, נכנסנו קרקעית, הם לא הסכימו לבית חולים שיפא, התעלמנו מהבקשה שלהם, הם רצו הפוגה בלי חטופים, לא הסכמנו להם. מה שדווח בהתחלת המהדורה ולשמחתי תוקן, אין אולטימטום אמריקאי, אין דדליין של ארה״ב, אנחנו עובדים, צריכים להמשיך להכות בחמאס, וגם אם זה יבוא למקום של עימות עם ארה״ב, צריך להמשיך עד הסוף. 
So just to reiterate for our audio listeners, he said they didn't agree to a ground invasion, we invaded. They, meaning the Americans, didn't agree on attacking Al-Shifa hospital, we ignored their request. They wanted a pause without hostages, we didn't accept that. What was reported in the beginning of the program, and I'm glad was corrected, we have no American ultimatum, there is no deadline from the United States. So there you have it, I mean, if there's no pressure by the United States, with real consequences, then why would the Israeli government listen to anything that Biden is politely asking them to do? They're spitting in our face publicly and laughing their ass off about it. What are you gonna do? You're not the boss of us, you give us money, but we don't have to do anything for you. You have to do things for us on top of the money that we're taking from you. And they go on their TV, they brag about it. I mean, you have to understand the context of Chris Van Hollen. He is a very mainstream establishment Democrat. For him to say that we're getting slapped in the face, talking like we do, that BB gave Biden the middle finger, mm-hmm. okay, that means all their polling is a disaster. That means the Democrats are worried they're all gonna lose their seats because the American people do not want to keep butchering Palestinians. So that's why Van Halen's saying this, otherwise he would never say it either, okay? Did you see that part in the quote that Anna read you? The president's patience is running out. But no, it's not. The president's patience is infinite. He, he, how dare he defy the leader of a foreign government? He thinks he, he can. Where's your pay? Where is it really running out, Joe? What are you gonna do something? You're gonna sit there and bleed all day, and you're gonna take every humiliating, put down an insult from Netanyahu, and you're gonna do as he orders you to do. Let's look, this is facts. So, okay, we'll give you more quotes. Now, this is Benjamin Netanyahu. I'm gonna read from his. Uh, social feed, he gave, gave a speech on the 100 day anniversary of the, of the war, right? And he says in part of it, several days ago, I met with Secretary of State Blinken. I thanked him for the American assistance and I emphasized to him, uh, we embarked on this war after we were massacred. We are not stopping, we are continuing until we eliminate Hamas and return our hostages. Now remember, we just explained to you, Blinken went down there and said, get realistic about the end game here. You can't ethnically cleanse all these people, you can't reoccupy, you can't go until Hamas is all wiped out. We don't know when Hamas is gonna get wiped out. We don't even know, we even know how many of the Hamas there are. It's an unwinnable solution, right? That's not really a solution at all. And here is Netanyahu going, yeah, I met with Blinken. I thanked him for the money that he gave me like a sucker, because I told him to, I ordered him to. And then I told him, I'm not gonna listen to a goddamn thing he says. I'm gonna do exactly what I said. But wait, there's more. He said, I told him something else. This is not just our war, it's also your war. Why? Why is it our war? Look at him, him. This is in public. You go read on Twitter right now. He's ordering us around <coughs> brazenly. He says, okay, continue. This is the war of the sons of light against the sons of darkness. Hilarious. There's a war against the axis of evil led by Iran and its three proxies, Hezbollah, Hamas, and the Houthis. And I added, I do not forget, not even for a moment, that in addition to the war in Gaza, in addition to the return of our hostages and the return of the residents to their homes in both the north and the south, we have another constant existential mission to prevent Iran from attaining nuclear weapons. This is my mission. This is our mission. No, that's not his mission. Hold on. (laughs) He's been a detriment to that. 100%, 100%. But I'll come back to that last thing. He said, I told Secretary of State Blinken, this needs to be your highest mon too. Oh, thank you very much for the order. 
Now we'll go run along and have this tiny, tiny little country that's supposed to be an ally that does nothing but get us in trouble, gets us hated by the whole world, that is not a democracy, that imprisons five million Palestinians and butchers them anytime that they like. And now he's giving us orders publicly. Your mission is to attack Iran on my behalf. I don't want to die there, but you guys go die for me and send me the money. Give me the goddamn money, <laughs> slap across the face. I told you already, I already ordered you. You go to war with Iran. Oh, I see. What is this? What is this? Is America mighty and great? Doesn't look like it. Tiny little country, Israel, controls us easily. By the way, the rest of the countries, you guys are morons. You can all buy, this is not a thing about people control this or that. No, anybody can buy an American politician. Nicaragua can buy all of our politicians. You just have to set up lobbies. And then they'll all work for you like dogs. And by the way, the Saudis do too, and so does Qatar and some of the other Gulf countries. They all buy our politicians. And they work for them, not us. That's just, you saw it with your own eyes in quotes from the Israeli government bragging about how they never have to listen to us. And the American taxpayer has to send their hard earned money to him to start more wars that your sons and daughters are gonna fight. But there's nothing we can do about it because we've been ordered. We come back from the break, we'll give you an update on the Israeli hostages, some devastating news over the weekend that's worth sharing with you. And then later in the show, we'll talk about the latest from the southern border. The tensions between Texas officials and the federal government continue to heat up. Don't miss that story and more coming up. Back on TYT, Jang Anna, an esoteric soul who just joined. Thank you, Anna. Well, we've got updates on the hostages who are held captive in the Gaza Strip. Let's get to it. It's been 100 days since Hamas launched a surprise attack that Israel had once dismissed as impossible and unimaginable. No, I got money. Overnight, Hamas released a video of three hostages, including Noah Argamani, who became a symbol of Hamas cruelty when she was kidnapped from a music festival and taken into Gaza on a motorcycle. More than 100 days following Hamas's attack on Israel, more than 100 hostages unfortunately still remain in Gaza. And over the weekend, the terrorist group released new footage of three of those captives in what Israel is, in my belief, fairly calling psychological warfare. Now, I'll explain why I agree with that take in just a moment, but first some details. In the video released by Hamas, it basically demands that Israel and the Israeli government government end its siege on Gaza if they want the hostages to be returned. The hostages in the first video, almost certainly made under duress, are include Noah Argamani, 26-year-old, Yossi Sarabi, and Itai Seversky. Now, it ended with the following caption saying, tomorrow, meaning Monday, we will inform you of their fate. Now, on Monday, another video was posted in which Argamani appears to be reading from a script and says that the two men had allegedly been killed. This is distressing, difficult to, to watch, so I want to give you guys that warning ahead of time. But with that said, here's the second video. 
Hamas released video footage purporting to show the bodies of the two men, claiming they had been killed by Israeli airstrikes. Israel's top military spokesman denied the accusation, at least in part. Itai was not shot by our forces. That is a Hamas lie. The building where they were being held was not a target, and it was not attacked by our forces. We didn't know exactly their locations. We don't attack a place if we know there may be hostages inside. In her video, the young woman, Noah Argamani, described the deaths of the two men and said she had been wounded. Okay, I'm glad we didn't actually show the real video, but that was the information about the video itself. And I wanna be clear about something. We have no confirmation about the fate of the two Israeli hostages. Hamas is claiming that they died in an Israeli airstrike. First of all, if they are in fact dead, you shouldn't take what Hamas is saying at face value. We don't know how they died, but we also don't know if they have actually died. There have been examples of other hostages that Hamas claimed had died in Israeli airstrikes. And when that hostage exchange happened during the humanitarian pause, one of those hostages who were presumed to be dead because that's what Hamas was claiming was exchanged. So there is still some hope that these individuals are still alive. But obviously, this is just absolutely devastating, you know, video for their family members to see and hear about. And Mia Shem, who was one of the hostages released in late November, has unsurprisingly said that Hamas had dictated her to say, what she said in the videos that they had released of her when she was held captive. So that's something else to keep in mind. Finally, the hostages and missing families forum said on Tuesday that the videos are further proof that the hostages are in immediate mortal danger. The lives of all hostages are at the mercy of the murderous terrorists. But also keep in mind that the siege on Gaza, the aerial bombardments by the IDF, that also puts the lives of these hostages in danger as well, which is why you have family members of those hostages speaking out against this ongoing war, Jenk. Yeah, so first of all, easy rule, don't believe anything in a hostage video, obvious, right? So number two, be wary of propaganda no matter which side it comes from. So we've told you about IDF propaganda before, we've told you about American propaganda, Russian propaganda, Ukrainian propaganda. So is there propaganda from Hamas? Of course, of course. So I just, I literally don't believe a word they said. So are those people dead? I have no idea. Did Israel bomb them? No idea, there's no proof of that, nothing. The only proof actually comes from the Israeli general who said, uh, and I read a longer version of what he uh, said as well, where he said, well, we hit somewhere nearby. I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> okay, so, and then he said uh, in the video that you saw, we never bomb a place if there are hostages. Well, that's not true either, because you remember the three hostages that came out waving a white flag with no shirts on uh, and a message of please help us, and they murdered him. Uh, they're like, "Oh, sorry, we thought they were innocent Palestinians. Yep. We didn't know they were innocent Israelis. So. No, you're not checking at all. So they both sides do propaganda. The tape itself is obvious hostage video, obvious propaganda from Hamas. Yeah, and look, the way that Israel is carrying out this war does not really inspire any faith that they're concerned about the lives and the fate of these, you know, these hostages. Because again, everyone who's trapped in the Gaza Strip 
is dealing with the aerial bombardments, they're dealing with the airstrikes, they're dealing with the lack of fuel, lack of clean drinking water, lack of food. You now see you know, humanitarian aid trucks coming into the Gaza Strip and they're immediately bombarded by people who are starving. At this point, more Palestinian civilians are dying from starvation and dehydration than they are from the Israeli airstrikes, kind of giving you a sense of how dire the situation is on the ground. This is something that's impacting everyone in Gaza, humanitarian aid workers, doctors, Israeli hostages, which is why Gil Dickman, who is a family member of one of the Israeli hostages, said the following. The whole point, as they told us, of the second stage of the war, of moving in through the ground, was in order to get the hostages back, and the hostages aren't here. They forgot about us. I'm really trying to get answers, and I don't really receive them because they're just, they're just telling me to wait. And that's exactly right. I mean, the hostage exchange happened during the humanitarian pause. The aerial bombardments have not gotten the hostages back. And what you keep hearing from the Israeli government over and over again in response to the family members who want their family back, they want these captives released, is no, no, we have to keep applying this pressure. We have to continue with the military operations to free the hostages. But none of the hostages have been freed through military operations. But they have been killed through military operations, that's a fact. That's true, yes. So, okay, look. Last two things here. Number one, there's a difference when the health ministry says something and then Israel does their propaganda and goes, "Oh, that's just Hamas, man. Don't believe any of the numbers. 24,000 people are dead. The health ministry is has been confirmed every single time by every human rights group on the ground. So that is not propaganda. That is actually doctors confirmed by human rights groups. But when Hamas releases a video, that is propaganda. And so, and it's actually very obvious. And you don't get to have complain about Hey, can you believe Israel's bombing us and killing some of the hostages? You have no moral high ground. You took the hostages in the first place. So why don't you just return them and then you wouldn't have that problem. But of course, they're not gonna return them because they're Hamas. Yeah. So, and one more thing, every time Hamas takes any action or talks, it hurts the Palestinian cause. So there's a hundred reasons to hate Hamas, but a huge one is because they hurt the Palestinians. Shut up. And so you took the hostages, you started this in the first place. And now, yes, Israel has committed all these war crimes against the innocent Palestinian civilians in Gaza. But that's, we're trying to protect those innocent people, not you. Give the hostages back, and then you could begin to talk. But of course, they're not going to do that. Um, we have an update. Uh, so the kibbutz where the two men were abducted by Hamas actually put out a statement saying that they have in fact been killed. Um, but there are no details on how they know that beyond uh, the video that was released by Hamas. I have not watched that portion of the video, but apparently in the video they show uh, the bodies of two men. I, I can't stomach it, it's absolutely disgusting. But this is what we're hearing from the kibbutz where the two men are from. So. Just absolute devastating update to the story. Yeah, but again, and we want to remind you that doesn't mean that Hamas is right about how they died. Right. They could have died in a hundred different ways. Absolutely. Including Hamas just killing them. That's another very distinct possibility. I want to do one more story before we wrap up the first hour of the show. This one's another difficult story having to do with death, although it's not in Gaza, it's unfortunately south of our border.
The drowning of three migrants, a woman and two children, escalating tensions between the White House and the state of Texas. The White House says Texas officials in Eagle Pass prevented Border Patrol agents from providing emergency assistance to the migrants by blocking agents' access to a city park with a boat ramp. The Department of Homeland Security is accusing Texas National Guard members of blocking federal Border Patrol agents from rescuing migrants in distress as they attempted to cross a river. Now later, the bodies of a woman and two young children were discovered in the Rio Grande in Eagle Pass by Mexican authorities. Authorities with Mexico's National Institute of Migration identified the deceased as Victorma De La Sanchez Cerros, who's 33 years old, Yorle Ruby, 10 years old, and Jonathan Agustin Briones de La Sancha, eight years old. Now, according to Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar, after Border Patrol learned Friday evening that six migrants in particular were in distress while they were trying to cross the river near Shelby Park in Eagle Pass, they contacted the Texas Military Department and the Texas National Guard. At that point, the Texas Military Department told Border Patrol that it would not allow federal agents into the area, even in the case of an emergency. This is this is insane, guys. Okay, even in a case of an emergency, but that it would send a soldier to investigate the situation. Now, this this is according to Henry Cuellar, okay? Conservative Democrat congressman out of Texas. Similar statements were also made by a Department of Homeland Security spokesperson. Louis Miranda, the DHS spokesman, said Border Patrol agents were responding to a distress call from the Mexican government when they were physically barred by Texas officials from entering the area. Tragically, a woman and two children drowned last night in the Shelby Park area of Eagle Pass, which was commandeered by the state of Texas earlier this week, Miranda said in a statement. The Texas governor's policies are cruel, dangerous, and inhumane. And Texas's blatant disregard for federal authority over immigration poses grave risks. And I wanna go to one other statement made by Representative Henry Cuellar before we get to some of the excuses we're hearing from the state of Texas. He talks about how Border Patrol agents could have saved these three people's lives as they were in distress. Let's take a look. If the state would have not taken the action that they did last week, and that is bar and kick out the Border Patrol agents and remove equipment like the scope truck that they had. The scope truck is a very key element that they use. That's to make sure that they survey the border, the river. And I think that scope truck would have played a very important role when they got this distress call. Now, because of the the state's action, the governor's action, what's happening now? The state is now defending and deflecting on what happened. And if they would have just allowed them to do, you know, the border patrol to do its work, we would not be talking about this story. So we're hearing different statements from the state of Texas. For instance, the Texas Military Department said in a statement that after being contacted by Border Patrol at about 9 p.m., it searched the river with lights and night vision goggles, but no migrants were found. The department said it stopped searching after Mexican authorities were seen scouring their side of the river, and Border Patrol confirmed that you know the Mexicans did not need help. I don't think that's true, but that's what they're claiming. Later, the Texas military released the following statement saying, soldiers confirmed that when Border Patrol requested access to the park, 
They stated that Mexican authorities had already recovered the bodies of two drowned immigrants. But fact of the matter is you have the state literally blocking you know, a branch of the federal government from being able to do their jobs. And that's insane, absolutely insane. First of all, what the hell's a Texas military department? What is this? So now are all the states gonna have their own military departments and is Rhode Island's military going to declare war on Alaska's military? What the hell is this? So that's point one. Point two is guys, there's two different issues here. One is the state of Texas ordering the federal forces to stand down, we're gonna let those people die. So that's sick and that's not American and then the second problem is potentially even larger, which is now remember, how did they tell the Border Patrol federal officers to not go in that area? They stood in their way and they have weapons. What were they gonna do? Draw weapons? What if the federal officers said, No, I'm going through? What are you what are you gonna shoot me? Oh my God. Uh, I don't know. Crazy. Are they gonna shoot them? <clears throat> this is insane. Totally nuts. And we have state level uh, folks who are saying, we don't care, we don't care about the federal government. The Republicans have shown that they don't care about democracy. So now we have our own military department and we'll, presumably they'll shoot US military if they don't follow their orders. The total this is crazy. chaos, three this people, is crazy. Three people are dead, including two children, a 10 year old and an eight year old. But that's okay. By the way, state of Texas, which has like banned abortion in the name of saving children. what I was gonna say. The Texas military would probably tell you, the leaders of Texas military would probably tell you that they're very pro-life. They're like, now America, stand down. Let those eight year old and 10 year old die. Ha ha, they're drowning in the water, ha ha, we're pro-life. Yeah, sure. Look, I don't know who's in the so-called Texas military. I don't know who their leaders are. I do know the politicians elected in Texas. And they're all the biggest liars in the world. Oh, I'm pro-life. Oh, let murder, let, let the Mexican kids die, let the Latino kids die, let them drown. Ha 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 And and now defying the United States government. So I've seen this movie before, where you devalue the lives of certain ethnicities in the South and then defy the US government if they try to save those lives. This movie does not end well. So the Biden administration is taking this up with the United States Supreme Court on Friday after state officials took over Shelby Park. The Biden administration made an emergency appeal to the US Supreme Court to intervene. In their court filing, federal lawyers said Texas cannot control border patrols access to the river, which is an international boundary under the jurisdiction of federal authorities or dictate its duties and in response, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said, Texas has the legal authority to control ingress and egress into the geographic location in the state. That power, he said, is being asserted in Eagle Pass to maintain operational control. This, you can't block border patrol from patrolling and doing their job at the border. This is insane and I guess the Supreme Court will adjudicate it and have the final decision on this matter. But this is crazy and this just shows you, look, I feel like this is more about political posturing than actually working together with the federal government in order to deal with the crisis at the border. Because it's not really about dealing with the crisis at the border. Yeah, look, I'm glad they're taking it to the courts and that's the right way to settle this. But meanwhile, those three people died, including those two kids. So I, I would have hoped that at some point a federal officer 
would have said, listen, we're going in and we're gonna rescue those people. Shoot us if you like. What are you gonna do? You're really gonna murder us with the Texas military? And dared them to do it and save those lives. But they didn't. And instead, they've gone to the courts. Courts are the right place to resolve things like this. So I'm glad they did that. But in that moment, unfortunately, they did not take the brave action they needed to. But all this blame lies at the foot of Greg Abbott, who is ordering the Texas military to let people die and to defy the United States government. And by the way, if a blue state said, hey, we won't let Border Patrol go to the border, the Republicans' heads would pop off and they would say, how dare you, right? But by the way, the as they should, it, <laughs> like, yeah. as they should. Yes. Anyway, all right, we gotta take a break. When we come back, we're gonna switch gears entirely, get into some election related updates, including Trump versus Nikki Haley. You don't wanna miss it, that and more coming up. <laughs> 